0: Before we start this podcast, do you know a stroke survivor that's currently socially isolated? Someone that might benefit from spending some time with a professional actor delivering a live reading service to them? If you do, Interact have launched an exciting new project called Interact at Home, where we deliver a live reading service directly into people's homes using technology such as Zoom, but we can also do it via the good old fashioned telephone, too. If this is something of interest to you or someone you know, further details can be found at our website, www.interactstrokesupport.org, or simply Google Interact at Home, Interact Stroke Support. And what's more, during the trial phase, we're offering this service free of charge. So please let people know. That's Interact at Home. And further details are available from our website. And now, on with the show. Our guest this week is the chief executive of Different Strokes, Austin Willett. Austin was in conversation with Megan Mackay-Smith. This interview was recorded during the period of the lockdown.
1: So um, Austin Willett, welcome to Right Side of the Brain. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, Let's start at the beginning. Can you tell me a little bit about um, about where you grew up?
2: Uh, yeah, I grew up in Suffolk. Great. Um, I lived there kind of all my childhood. Uh, my mum and dad still live there, actually. Um, yeah, I've moved around quite a lot since. Right. Uh, all I spent probably spent the majority of my life kind of in, in East Anglia region.
1: Right. Okay, and then um, where's the most interesting place you moved to, would you say?
2: Uh, that would be Vanuatu in the South Pacific. Oh, wow. I spent a couple of years out there doing voluntary service overseas. Oh,
1: fantastic. Bit different to East Anglia. Yeah. <laughs> if... A little
2: bit different, yeah. A little bit different.
1: So you're the CEO of uh, the Different Strokes Charity, which is a fantastic charity, uh, the more I've been reading up on it. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your career journey and how you ended up there?
2: Yeah, sure. I've spent most of my career in the charity sector. I I guess I kind of fell into it when I was about 22, post-university. But... um, and, and I guess just, just kind of gradually moved, moved from role to role. Um, but this is now the fourth role that I've had where I've been managing a kind of small to medium-sized charity. Um, right. So I ran, I spent seven years running a furniture reuse project
3: wow. in
2: North London. Um, and then I had a couple of years um, overseas with VSO. And then since then, I spent years managing a counselling organisation.
3: Right.
2: After that I worked for Headway for Brain Injury Charity mm-hmm. um, and then since then that was obviously from there quite a na- natural progression um, to move to Different Strokes which I joined in January 2018.
1: Right okay a lot of variety there for you wow. Um.
2: A lot of variety in terms of kind of the different subsectors of the job, but probably at least fifty percent of the job has been quite the same because yeah. when you manage a charity, um, I guess you, you kind of you're doing you're doing anything and everything really. You know, one minute you'll be writing your strategic plan, the next minute you'll be you know, on your hands and knees trying to fix the photocopier or something like that. <laughs> you don't have large teams of that to do, you know, to do things for you. Yeah. Um So, yes, there has been a lot of variety in terms of the um, aims and objectives of the organisations that I've worked for, but a lot of the day-to-day stuff has been similar in terms of everything that's involved with running a charity.
1: So on that, actually, I'm really interested about people's day-to-day in jobs that we think we know a lot about. So when you hear CEO, kind of everybody has their perceptions about what that is. Um, What does a day-to-day, a regular day-to-day look like for you? Um, Or is there even a regular day-to-day?
2: Well, day-to-day at the moment is extremely unusual um, as it involves me working out of my Spare room at home um, and doing some juggling of my working life with um childcare responsibilities as well. So things are obviously a little bit different at the moment. Yeah. Um, in kind of non-COVID times, though, a more regular scheme of things, um my week will entail personnel management and entail managing my team it will entail financial management doing um, you know monthly budgets for example, preparing them. it will involve um, liaising with third parties. It will involve looking at what we're doing in terms of fundraising, whether that's events or individual donations. It will involve applications to charitable trusts and foundations. Mm -hmm. In the bigger picture, it will involve looking at the future direction of the charity in terms of business plans, strategic plans and so forth. Mm um it will involve a certain amount of liaising with our beneficiaries my team does that a little bit more than i do directly but wow. obviously i have kind of an element of, of, of that as well um it also involve liaising with the forty groups that we have up and down the country with, with, wow. with full of stroke survivors there so there's a lot of variety to it and i think it's it's a bit of a cliche but it's fair to say that that no two days are the same
1: i think that's great though And fixing the photocopier as well obviously (laughs) uh, hopefully you have somebody to do that now (laughs)
2: um yeah well our photocopy is generally behaving itself at the moment so that's well it's getting very very little use right now because we're all working from home
1: yeah no exactly um the charity, like I said, when, when I was having a look at what you do, um, the the different services that you give I thought was incredible and um, and just overwhelming looking at your website, how much you're yeah. doing. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the charity and kind of why you think um, it's a little bit different to what other people are, are doing?
2: Um, I guess there's two main things which are very different about us. Firstly we are we're specifically here to support working age and younger stroke survivors
3: mm-hmm.
2: there is a bit of this myth that stroke only happens to the elderly and it's it's absolutely not the case mm-hmm. 25 to 30 percent of strokes happen to people who are of working age or younger um and so that's our specialism i mean we don't have an age range as such it's not as if we'd say to someone well because you're 65, 66 years old, we're not going to support you. That's not the case at all. But it's more of us that services as, as it's designed for younger people and to give them that, that space. Mm-hmm. The second thing is we hugely believe in the ethos of peer support. And in a sense, a lot of what we do is about facilitating the support between stroke survivors themselves. Right. And... Um, I am one of the very, very few people involved with different strokes that doesn't actually have a personal connection to stroke. Right. Um, around five of our nine staff are stroke survivors, three of our eight trustees are stroke survivors. Mm-hmm. So it's you know, we know how important it is to get the voice of stroke survivors within our organization. Um, and if you were to take something like our, our online support group, the, the, the closed Facebook group that we have for stroke survivors, that's got five and a half thousand members. Um, but we facilitate that in a very, very light touch way because what will often happen on that is a stroke survivor might post an issue that they're struggling with and saying, I'm not sure what to do about this. Mm-hmm. And then then they'll get 20, 30, 40, 50 people come back and say, well, you might want to try this or this has worked for me. And mm-hmm. they get that kind of support from other stroke survivors. And, and that's yeah. what's so important about what we do.
1: That was magnificent and really struck me when i was reading up on you the fact that the majority of the people who work for you and volunteer have had a personal connection to it which i assume um is really helpful in so many different ways uh, yes. to people who are who come into the charity really interestingly you already um covered something that i was going to ask you about the perception that stroke only happens to elderly people um why do you think that still persists and how does it affect the younger people that you work with
2: the, I think if you think of kind of a, a, a public image of stroke or or an advertising of a stroke prevention campaign or something like that, that it will almost always feature older people. Um, I mean, one campaign I saw last year that was being developed in some European countries, for example, and in one sense it was a very good campaign because it was about um, teaching awareness for to, to children, to school aged children, to look for signs of stroke. But then on the flip side of that, the whole emphasis was on um, look to see if there's signs for stroke in your grandparents. So, uh, you know, that, that the whole emphasis is very much on, has always been on, it only happens to, to older people. Mm-hmm. Um, and although it's fair to say that it's more common in older people than it is in younger people, You know, up to 30% of people being, you know, of working age is is still a massive amount. But I suppose in a sense, it then becomes quite self-perpetuating because the more that people see or hear about stroke being something that happens to older people, the more that people believe that. And we've supported a lot of people, you know, I can think of half a dozen people off the top of my head, who were told, well, well, you can't be having a stroke, you're too young. Um, right. And, you know, so again, it, it, as I said, it, it becomes a bit self-perpetuating. And the knock-on effect of that is, if a young person then has a stroke, they, their reaction to that might be, well, I'm the only person that this has ever happened to. I'm not aware of other younger people. Therefore, I'm a bit of a freak. You know, I'm the only person this has happened to. And that makes them feel more isolated. It might mean that they're less likely to reach out for support, potentially less likely to kind of share their story. Um, And so, you know, things are changing but but you know very very slowly and there's still a lot of work to do in terms of us getting out the message there that you know strike up to people of all ages
1: yeah and when you said that people um they were sort of told you can't be having a stroke because you're too young was that by kind of surrounding family members was that by medical professionals
2: um I'd, I'd hesitate to say it's by medical professionals. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't say that was from, you know, people that work, doctors that worked in hospitals. Yeah. But certainly on the case of people who, um, you know, maybe work on the fringes of the medical profession, kind of a first aid responder or, or right. something like that, or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, people that kind of work at that level who've kind of have had kind of some medical training but still have have thought no you know stroke doesn't happen to you know to young people
1: to young people Mm -hmm. um I think it was a couple of years ago um Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones spoke Mm -hmm. out because she had a stroke when she was Mm -hmm. um yeah in her 20s um is that kind of um when more high profile people speak out about it do you find that kind of um helps the work that you're doing, does it overshadow it in any way?
2: No, it's a huge help. Is it? It's a huge help. It's definitely a huge help. And and we work, um we've had a couple of fantastic supporters of of um people who've had strokes in their twenties, such as um uh Megan Julia who's a he's a Paralympic um gold medalist cyclist. Mm -hmm. um and alex murphy who's a um ice skater on on dancing on ice professional um and they've been great supporters of ours and they've you know shared their story um Mm -hmm. and the more that people who are in the public domain share their story the better because it gets the message out there that stroke happens to people of all ages
1: One of my favorite uh, parts of your website actually was the survivors stories. And I kind of went down a bit of a rabbit hole and got lost there about how it was just fascinating how each person's story was so different, even though they were all, um, you know, stroke was the common denominator, but they all had wildly different experiences. Um, so I I will recommend anybody listening to to have a look at those stories because they're fantastic. Um, what are do you think the most common concerns young stroke survivors kind of articulate to you, and uh, and how do you address them?
2: I suppose first and foremost, it's it, it it goes back to the fact that stroke only happens to 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 older people, but because of that, a lot of the time, um, rehabilitation models aren't aren't particularly designed for people who are younger.
3: Right. Um,
2: so often the support is out there, the kind of rehab that you might see might be geared more to around, around people kind of at the, at, the, at the older end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And that does leave people who are younger um, feeling, well, this isn't, you know, this, this isn't suitable for me particularly.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But I guess you know, on a more kind of basic level, it's really important for young stroke survivors to know that they're not alone, that they're not mm-hmm. the only person that it's happened to. You know, there are a lot of other people in their age group that this has happened to, and it's really important for them to be able to get that support from their peers.
1: How do you feel about um, the the state of stroke rehabilitation kind of in general?
2: The most important point here, and, and and you touched on it when you said you you know the difference in the stroke survivor stories that you read on our website. Um mm-hmm. Show me 50 stroke survivors and I'll show you 50 different people who've had 50 different effects and 50 different experiences. Um, And this is why it's so important in rehabilitation that we don't have a one-size-fits-all model. Um, Often when we hear the word rehabilitation, you immediately think of things like, well people trying to walk again or trying to gain movement in you know another part of their body and you think of the physical effects of that and for a lot of stroke survivors that's certainly the case and that's Mm -hmm. important but many other stroke survivors might have very very little physical impairment from their stroke but they might be much more impaired on a cognitive in a cognitive way for example and therefore Mm -hmm. need you know support in other areas and that's where other types of rehabilitation can be so important
1: so on to this actually and I'm gonna um I'm trying to uh to look up because a, a colleague of mine interviewed somebody who um who, who also worked in uh, for, for a stroke charity I believe who mentioned about he feels they're really great at getting people to walk and talk again um yeah. kind of other areas about um you know in, enjoying art um kind of things that he said that were, worth living for um were kind of harder harder to get people um harder to rehabilitate again I suppose so um what's your view of using the arts as a means of rehabilitation
2: for a number of stroke survivors you know the arts might not be something that's of benefit or of interest to them but for a lot of stroke survivors you know it really can be it really you know can be kind of an important function Mm -hmm. um i i did a visit to one of our groups a year or so a year or so ago in london that meets on a weekly basis and Mm -hmm. and once a month i have someone come in to help them with painting for example yeah Um, and i have to say all the stroke survivors completely put (laughs) needs <laughs> a shame because my was useless whereas well, all of those you could see that you know they have been you know it'd been training their brain in a particular yes. way and they have kind of a more more of an understanding of you know of, of how to do that mm-hmm. and I think it's just it, it's absolutely crucial that for, that for stroke survivors where this is of useful to them and it is of interest to them that they have that as an option yeah. again because it's the kind of thing that goes away from the notion of a one-size-fits-all model that obviously yes. you know we, we're trying to avoid.
1: Mm-hmm. So I actually run the uh, some creative workshops for Interact um, and we do some in the Leonard Cheshire Centre and one-in-ones with as well um, and what was really interesting was um, we obviously use art as a means for rehabilitation and what was great was seeing people realise that they could do it and yeah. it wasn't just something yeah. for people who deemed themselves as artists. It was that anybody could paint, anybody could write. Um, and even though they were quite reluctant at first, it was great to see people then just enjoying it um, and like the process of it rather than the result of it, yeah. which was um, a lovely thing.
2: Yeah. And it's a really, it can be a really key way to help stimulate people's cognitive functions and to help people, continue on their overall rehabilitation journey
1: yeah um you mentioned obviously uh covid how that's turned well i mean everything upside down not just uh not just your working schedule what would you say um if anything is the biggest challenge that different strokes faces apart from from covid at the moment
2: yeah i mean we i think at the moment like all organizations out there we're in the state of Almost just taking things on a on a week to week basis and and mm-hmm. trying to trying to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking beyond that, the biggest issue that we have is public awareness. Right.
3: Um,
2: we we did a survey last year of about a thousand people, mm-hmm. um, just um, just you know a thousand a thousand members of the general public to ask about their perception of stroke. Mm -hmm. Um, and we ask people, one of the questions we ask people is what proportion of, you know, what proportion of strokes do you think happens to people who are aged below 65? Mm Um, and 84% of people, um, thought it was around one in 50 when it's one in four, um, actually a little bit more than, more than one in four, it's between one and three, one in four,
3: um.
2: But just the perception is still there in the majority of the public that it's very, very rare for it to happen in, you know, in people of working age. So that's our challenge to get that message out there more, mm-hmm. uh, and linked in with that to make more people aware of us as a charity. But particularly, most importantly, to get more people aware of the fact that stroke happens to people of all ages.
1: Yeah i suppose like you said um with ad campaigns and things like that it's it's about finding something which will reach um the masses of people you know because you can chip away and chip away but actually unless other people are also changing their perceptions um it can be quite difficult Is there anything you would say uh to anybody listening in terms of uh research they could do um or, or you know yeah ways which they could help
2: in terms of ways that people can help i mean the best thing really is just to talk to people you mm-hmm. know get 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 the message out there mm-hmm. um make more people aware that you know different strokes is here and that you know strokes happen to people of people of all ages. Um, People can obviously find out a lot of information about, you know, what we do, you know, via our website. Mm -hmm. Um, And if people are really interested in supporting us and getting the message out more, we do have a a fairly embryonic ambassador programme where we've recruited um, so far five people from various parts of the country to... Mm -hmm. um, you know, help represent ourselves at local events and get the message out more. That's that's a little bit on hold at the moment because, of course, um, nothing's sure. really taking place right now. But I'm mm-hmm. um, certainly that's something that when we're back to something approaching normality again, you know, we we want to kickstart. So we'll be really really happy to hear from anyone that's interested in being an ambassador for us.
1: Amazing. And which cities do you do you work in?
2: Well, we're 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 um, we're national. We're, we're UK wide. Okay um for the whole of the uk um Mm. working um we have some stronger presence in more areas than we do in others because we've got about 40 groups up and down the country and some of them in particular towns and cities are are very active whereas some other areas we might not have a group Mm. Um, but no i mean we we consider ourselves a national organization and we know through the people who we support online that that's across all parts of the uk brilliant
1: um, I will mention for people listening that it's Differentstrokes.co.uk, isn't it? The website. Um and you do accept donations via the website as well, don't you? Yes. Fantastic. Um, but for anybody wanting to know more about the ambassador programme, um, or as I said, to read the Stroke Survivor stories, which were incredible, um, that would be the website differentstrokes.co.uk. Yes. Fantastic. Um, Austin, thank you so much for for joining us today. it okay. you're very welcome. Fantastic to talk to you.
0: You today. That was Austin Willett in conversation with Megan Mackay Smith. For more information about our work, please do visit our website at www.interactstrokesupport.org. And if you're feeling generous, please do click on the big red donate button. I very much look forward to your company on the next edition of Right Side of the Brain.